Welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife. Questions and answers. <laughs> well, who are you? Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, I'm Mark. Hello. Hello. You don't hear in my house. <laughs> I don't know. Um, hello. Uh, okay, so this is the first episode of the little new hamster strain that's going on here. It's going to be um, questions and answers. Um, my fabulous assistant PA and technical support, Mark Rollins, will be <laughs> asking the questions. We'll have a little discussion about it. We'll try and find some kind of consensus. Yeah, I've just found out about this as well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think a consensus is something you and I could possibly reach? I think so. It happens every now and again. Well, look, so the first round of questions is all about the 1980s. And I have to say, thank you so much, because I had tons of questions come in. I was quite surprised. Um, and some were very fun, some were very silly, and some were from Fraser. A lot were from Fraser. How many are there from Fraser? Uh, I don't know yet. We'll, we'll uh, mix them up, though. We'll mix them through. I'll have a look through the thread. Okay, well, would you like to kick us off? Okay, so first question is from Dylan Reese. Oh, Dylan Reese. Now, I thought as well, whilst we're doing the questions, we'll just talk a little bit about the person. Dylan Reese does a podcast called Too Hot for TV. I can't believe I could remember that. I've been listening to that this week. <laughs> it's fabulous, isn't it? I've always it? listened to it, yeah. Isn't it great? Yeah. And he's invited us both on to, to do a, mm. a podcast soon. Um, and what was it about? What, his podcast? Yeah. His podcast, yeah, too hot for TV, yeah. Oh well, it's a, it's a obviously a Doctor Who podcast, but it's about the sort of spin-off media, fabulously uh, niche. Things. So basically, if it's not televised Doctor Who in a way, so you know you've got your books, your um, audios, your spin-off videos and stuff. We thought we were being comic strips, fucking original, doing BBV commentary, didn't we? <laughs> and there he was, years back, doing it and bringing out books about it. Anyway, it's fabulous. Go find Two Watch for TV. What's the too question? hot for TV. Too, oh yeah, you're too watching. Too, <laughs> oh too hot for God. TV. You're too hot. Anyway, for TV. so the first uh, <clears throat> question is: Is Colin's costume really a mistake or an iconic slice of eighties goodness? Okay, this is a bit of a weird one, you know, because I think it was a mistake and I do think his era would perhaps be looked upon a little more kindly without that very bold explosion of bloody colours. But I don't really notice it anymore. And it's something that I've just come to associate with his doctor. Well, what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't think you can blame everything on the, the costume, I think there's so it was just one of many factors. Well, I quite like the scene of, of the nineteen eighty. Yeah, like... yeah, but it's just one of many things that you could criticise there, and I don't think you can just blame. But because he's the well, doctor, uh... front and centre, <clears throat> in that explosion of rainbow colours, mm. it's just like this weird garish statement for the era, isn't it? Mm. So I think it would have helped if it had been toned down a little bit and was a bit more of a costume. I think it would have helped a little bit. What would have been not, a good alternative? change too much he, he remember he said he wanted the christopher eccleston leather jacket can you imagine that <laughs> no not really did you see that special feature where they put him in a black suit in the twin dilemma dvd yes where they redid the thing oh yeah or that the blue one or the great. big finished blue version in fact yeah. robert valentine recently very handsome you know said um 
that he thought that they should have gone down the sort of wolves of wolves of Green Street. No, what am I thinking of? You know that sort of eighties <laughs> banker look. Oh that, that, yeah, that. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, <laughs> Green Street. Yeah, that <laughs> so I should have gone sort of down sort of that look because it was very that was very that in thing. in the yeah. mid eighties. Yeah. What about what you know? What David Banks wore for the theatre production? Do you ever see that when yeah. he played the doctor? Oh, with a sort of waistcoat. It was, was it? Well, that was that was a bit. I suppose it was a bit Seven Thoughts and New Adventures, really, actually, I wasn't it? I thought a little bit of Peter Davison. He looked a bit mm. like Peter Davison yeah. in that, actually. Mm. Um, so, Dylan, we've reached a consensus that... Um, well, no, do you know what, though? He does, he does stick out on those big finish covers now. Yes, yeah, true. So, yeah, mistake or not, yes or no? Yes. Okay. And I think even J&T said, you know, while he was dragging on a cigarette, you know, I hold my hands up. I made a mistake. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, next question comes from Fraser Gregory. Oh, of course, one of five hundred. Go on. Okay, well, the first one is okay. Snog, marry, oh. or feed a can of Hale and Peace's finest cat food to <laughs> Michael Grade, oh. Eric Sayward, oh, no. John Nathan Turner. Off you go. Well, straight away, I'm going to feed a can of cat food to. Eric's award because I couldn't <laughs> snog or marry him. Have you seen him? He looks like Toad of Toad All. He's got a massive neck like Terence Diggs. <laughs> um, uh, so I'll have to then. <laughs> I'll have to snog JNT because he's had two in his mouth at, at once. <laughs> his um, mouth? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Come on. He was down those conventions. <laughs> he was under more desks than he was leaning on. Um, and who am I marrying then? Michael Grade. Oh, I'd love to marry Michael Grave because on that special feature for Michael season Grade. Two, what did I say? Grave. Michael Grade. Because he was really interesting. He goes, they goes um, to Michael Grade, well, why did you cancel Doctor Who? Do you know what he said? What? He said, well, have you watched it? He said, you go and watch it and tell me if you think that's a good use of the licence payers' money. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. Okay, next question. Do you think Eric Award would like... To eat some of Helen Pace's cat food. No. Do you know what he'd say? He'd go, This is all the fault of the producer, John Nathan Turner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question mm. comes from All of Time and Space podcast. Oh, hello, All of Time and Space. I don't think we've interacted before. No. Um, which 80s story do you think could work really well in the new series? Oh my God, what a brilliant question. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I've got an idea of one. Well, well it depends. Like, we're completely remade, like, the script, but then just everything else, you know, is... Is a new series. Yeah, so new with a new series. Something like Enlightenment would look amazing with a new that series. That would work budget. really well. Well, they kind of did that with the special edition, didn't they? Mm. Um, what's that something that's big and bold? Warrior's Gate? Could you imagine that with, like, a massive budget? Mm. And without that kind of shitty white CSO... Yes. Um, what Legopolis? You can make Legopolis epic. That'd be cool. Keep a trapping. Mm. Well, would you change though? Because it's a lot of really pretty sets, but it's already a lot of pretty sets. Yeah. Okay, you got to choose one. <clears throat> um, I am going to say the Twin Dilemma. No, no, no. Jesus Christ! Imagine trying to make that nowadays and condensing that down. Actually, do you know what? I am going to say the Twin Dilemma. Do you know why? I think if you cut it down to 45 minutes, 
yeah, you have a very condensed through character arc of the sixth Doctor having a violent moment and then learn, redeeming himself. A bit like Capaldi in um, his first episode, although that stretched along for a bit. Threw a bit of money at the screen. Imagine the giant gastropods in CGI sludging around up, all up the walls and yeah. everything. Oh, yeah, I could like, see that. Um, what's his name? The Shell. What's his name? The Shell. Marcel the Marcel Shell. Marcel the Shell with shoes oh, on. Everyone, go see this movie. <laughs> That's a great Marcel film. the Shell. It, it was a little shell with feet, and you'd step in maple syrup and then start climbing up the walls with sticky shoes. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I could see that, actually. Yeah. Twin Dilemma. Perry, am I a good man? Oh, doctor. No, you're not. <laughs> That's basically deep breath. <laughs> but I'd love to see. And imagine the bird people as well. Mm. With the sort of the makeup that does something like the cat people uh, mm. from the one you love, Smith and Jones. Yeah. Okay, so we're Good going choice. with the, we're going with the twin dilemma. Yeah, and you know it'll be fucking shorter as well. So, um, next question is from Andy Parkinson. Oh, we met Andy Parkinson this weekend at mm. the BFI. What a charming mm. gentleman, honestly. It's very effusive in his praise, you know, for mm. for our podcasts. Uh, he asks. Uh, the monsters in the 80s often get slated, sometimes quite rightly so. <laughs> yeah. Are we more forgiving of monsters in earlier decades? If so, why? I think they're better. I think the 70s monsters are better than the 80s monsters. You think of the Sontarans in um, The Time Warrior and then think of the Sontarans in The Two Doctors. Yeah, yeah, so they did get worse, didn't they, in a way? They, I, yeah, there's, it's diminishing returns for the Sontarans. But yeah, something like, I don't know, like Mestor or something. Yeah. And you've got, I don't know. Think of a one-off baddie in the 70s. Or even the 60s before, you know, quite forgiving of like, you know, like, I mean, the sensor arts, sensor arts? Sensor <laughs> arts aren't that amazing. Um, I think in the 70s they got the... the Monoptera or something. But know, if you look at the Monoptera and then you look at the things in the Twin Dilemma... Maybe it's just things haven't actually changed that much. I'd rather go with the Monoptera. Wouldn't you? Did you know those sort of half-masks they were doing? Draconians and things like that. Think of the Zygons. Um, think of that, um, the Crinoids, when the fella was like half-plant, half-man. They did make it really well. But I think in the 70s, they made the monster a performance piece. And so they got in really good actors. Uh, so I think, I think, what is he saying? Well, the monster's shit in the 80s. Are we more forgiving of monsters in earlier decades? Because everyone's like, this in the 80s is really shit, this is really bad. Like, I don't know, the Merca or something. They're better designed in the 70s and they're better acted. But, okay, now I need both of us to think of two monsters in the 80s that are fantastic, just so we're not just slagging it off. Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to go for the obvious, the Destroyer. I knew you were going to say And the, the Hemovores, but that's like right at the end, isn't it, when... Okay, well, Things I'll say better. the Tharrells, which I know they're not a monster, but they're an alien. I thought they were really good, well designed. And what? That man in a beard. It's like a lion. It's, yeah, it's just a man like in a beard. A lion. Okay. Oh, oh dear. And, um, well, I'll say the 80s Cybermen as well are really well designed, you know. I have found the ones from the Tardis. <laughs> okay, next question comes from Joe Short. Oh, hello, Joe. Uh, Eric Saywood, villain or misunderstood genius? I don't think the words Eric's award and genius belong in the same sentence. I know he wrote Revelation of the Daleks, but it's a bit of a fluke. Um, villain? 
Why? Well, no, I'm asking you. Oh, yeah, I can't stand him. I think he's terrible. What do you mean? I think he ruined all those 80s stories. Uh, you know my thoughts what? on Eric Saywood. No, I want to hear your thoughts on Eric Saywood. You think he ruined every story in the 80s? I don't think he did his job. What about, <laughs> what about Snake Dance? I don't, th- I don't think he did his job. Enlightenment. Frontius. Yeah, I know. Case I think that's, yeah, but I know, but when he gets to, especially Collins Baker's time, I just don't think he was good enough. I think he, it was his fault that everything went wrong. I think I think he is a good ideas man. I don't think he's a good executor. So I think if you look at season 20, every story's got a really strong idea at the heart. The ship in Terminus exploding the universe, the sailing ships in space, um, even like our own bigger taking on the Doctor's print and and getting him executed on Gallifrey. Well, that's all really good dramatic ideas. I just don't think he can always... But produce an effective script out of those ideas. And I think when the scripts work in the 80s, it's generally because the writers that he's brought in are competent enough to do it. And it isn't really much to do with him. And I I think the sort of standard of, of Eric's award competence is like the visitation. And that's a pretty basic script. That's what I think. So... The super villain of the 80s is Eric Sword. Okay, next question <coughs> is from James Anfrans. Oh, hello, James. Is he handsome? I can't see the picture. Oh, he is handsome. Hello, James. And My telephone number is 0792. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and he says, what's the campus moment each doctor has in the 80s? James, why are you asking me this question? As if I know anything about campery. Sorry, what's the campus moment in what? Uh, for each doctor in the 80s. The campus moment for each doctor. Um, oh, you know, the bit where um, Colin Baker walks in on Mestor and goes, I'm not having your sluggy eggs all over the universe. It's so camp. I've been waiting to do a moment like that my whole life. Uh, what's a camp moment for Sylvester McCoy? Um, oh, he's not very camp, is he? We've both gone quiet. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I've got one Go for on. Sylvester McCoy. Do the impression. Well, no, I was going to say him playing the spoons on Kate Amara. Oh, that's very camp, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and not not really seeming to enjoy it too much. Um, oh, yeah, actually, very camp throughout Tom and the Rani. He's fallen all over the set, isn't he? Oh, no, you know, oh, no, I found the bit. It's the bit where he grabs Mel's wrist and goes, Mel. <laughs> Do you remember that bit? <laughs> okay, Peter Davison. Oh, Peter Davison won't be camp, will he? He's far too... Uh, well, I would say he's masculine, but... Oh, no, no, yeah. You know what it is, don't you? <laughs> when you what? Finished lecturing me? You know, when he goes in that sort of squeaky voice, or what's he saying for to do? Say, you're spoiling my concentration! <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to find one for Tom Baker in season 18, to be technically 80s? Oh, my God. Do you want a quick decision or a debate? <laughs> no, that's not camp. Um... Tom Baker, Tom Baker would never no. be too camp, would he? No. He's all man, Tom Baker. I'll mm. bet he had an enormous knob. Oh my God, <laughs> where did that come from? Oh, because he's all man, isn't he? <laughs> I'll bet it's like a baby's fist. Oh my God. <laughs> sorry, go on, keep going. Keep so sorry, everybody. <laughs> okay, next question is from Gavin. Oh, 
it's that muscle Gavin. I'm just going to say Gavin because we Gavin know Gavin. puts pictures <laughs> of his big muscles on Twitter. Okay. Gavin, keep putting your pictures on, all right? Uh, the mid-80s made me a fan. Is that period misunderstood? Mid-80s? What's that mean, misunderstood? Is that period misunderstood, like... All I can say is, you know, when I first started Hamstar, those 80 stories were literally grabbed quicker than the Argos catalogue. Like, people just wanted, were desperate to do the 80s. What have I got left? I've got about 15 Hinchcliffe still, and about two 80s stories left to do. Um, is it misunderstood? I think it's very problematic. I think the companions are whingy. I think the stories are hit and miss. The production values are hit and miss. It can be very colourful and a bit kind of, you know, garish and in a sort of ugly sort of way. Um, but it can also be brilliant as well. It's it's such a weird era. Is I think every other era before, you know exactly kind of what you're going to get. And with the 80s, from one story to another... You never know what you're going to get. And that's in terms of quality as well as tone and genre. So is it misunderstood? Probably, because I think some people dismiss it entirely, especially the tail end, McCoy. But I think it is still very good, if inconsistent. I'm not sure I answered that question. (laughs) Uh, Let's have another one from Fraser then. Oh, yes, great. Is it Snog Marry Avoid again? Uh, no. Which 80s Doctor Who story would you gladly lose to Ian Levine's skip so you could bring <laughs> a missing story from the 60s back? <gasps> oh, my God, any of them. No, <clears throat> um, I would... God, what's my least favourite 80s story? I would pr- gladly lose Ark of Infinity. <laughs> it's literally, it's quite as great. <laughs> <laughs> what was that fella say? Oh, yeah, and in the thing. Literally, it's quiet as the grave. It's terrible. Oh, go on. Take your clothes off, then. Oh, no, he doesn't let you say that. I beg your pardon. Like that. Is that a proposition? <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, it is basically everything that's sort of rock Gallifrey, Technobabble, um, continuity, and it's just really fucking tedious to watch as so well. What's, what's replacing it, then? What are you getting back from the 60s? Do I have a shit one back or a good one? Any missing story from Marco the 60s? Marco Polo, back? please. I'll take seven episodes of Marco Polo. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, this is from Andy Stark. Um, hey, Andy. Would Collins' Doctor have had a better reception if the twin dilemma had been the first story of season 22 instead of the last story of season 21? That's really interesting. What a great question. Because I don't think I don't think the Twin Dilemma's reputation would be helped when no matter where it's put. But if it was at the start of a season and there was all those stories coming immediately after, sort of salvaging the reputation of of the season, having like Attack of the Cybermen and Vengeance of Virus and all that afterwards, yeah, I think it would help, actually. I think having that if you'll excuse me, turd at the end of season twenty one Oh, it's a polished turd. I quite like it. It's fun. Do you not like the Twin Dilemma? That's all right. Take care not to blow their hearts or minds. Uh, it would be interesting if it was two 45-minute episodes, if it was in that season. That's true. Would there be more room for character development if it was 45-minute episodes if you weren't leading up to a cliffhanger every sort of 20 minutes? Because the cliffhangers are terrible as well. 
Yeah, Remember? but it might be better in 245s. I said, you destroyed my entire command. Now I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to kill me, Perry. Perry! <laughs> He's terrible. <clears throat> uh, next question from Matt Michael. Oh, Matt Michael, you dreadful old flirt. Go on. Is Ainley the best master? No. Delgado okay. is the best master. I I still think he's the boss, Delgado. Although I saw that somebody put a, a gif on uh, online saying that Missy thinks she's the best. And I think Nathan popped in and said, yeah, Missy is the best as well. Uh, but I just had a recently had a conversation with fabulous Lucy McCall, Daniel Knight and Dave Rennie on a Planet of Fire commentary all about Ainley's master. And, you know, there was some discussion about how he can be a bit pantomime and over the top. But we all agreed that whenever he turns up, the entertainment value is through the roof. And like at points like the end of Trial of a Time Lord, like Time Flight, if he wasn't in there... Well, can you even imagine? So, what was your question again? Is he the best master? No. You said no. <laughs> I don't think he's the best. Do you think he's the best master? No. Who do you think is the best master? Uh, yeah, I'd say Delgado. Yeah. You're just copying me now. No, now he's got the a best. fucking original idea these days, have they? Anyway, next question from uh, Darren Lit Roundels. Hello, Darren. If anybody hasn't explored Lit Roundel's YouTube channel, I suggest you get your asses over there right now. Do you know he's done rescores of no. Kev McCulloch's scores? Mm. He managed to make Battlefield and Paradise Towers sound amazing. Okay. Very uh, talented man. And his question, <laughs> who was the least successful companion to come out of the 80s? Ooh. Are we just in the 80s, not Big Finish? 80s TV only. TV only. Okay, then probably Mel. Even though she's really fun, <laughs> she's gone. I mean, what's what's less than one dimensional? Half dimensional. I mean, she is flat, isn't she? And but like Bonnie brings a lot of charm and energy and fun, and she's she's giving those stories a bit of oomph, but she's working with nothing, like. What does she ever do that's computer programming? What does she ever do that's linked into that? Well, that's because Eric Saywood was off at that time. John Nathan Turner was... It was up to him to create the thing. And Basically, and it was just Pip and Jane writing for then her. Then I suppose when Andrew Cartmore came in, she didn't really change that much. We probably... Maybe if she'd stayed another season, maybe he would have been able to do something with the character. But there wasn't really anyone on watch for Mel. Maybe that's what it was. I would like to add a caveat, though, that if we were including Big Finish, actually Mel would be somewhere near mm. the top. And Bonnie is phenomenal on audio. And you'd probably have to agree with me that Ace is the most successful on TV companion of the 80s. Mm. But if we were including Big Finish, she'd be at the bottom. <laughs> I Don't mean, start with your Sophie Aldridge talk again. performances always, on audio from Sophie Aldridge. To you I'm sorry. <laughs> Criticising Sophie Aldridge. Well, what happened? Right, we're moving on. They put a microphone in front Next. of her and she forgot how to act. <laughs> Next. Let's have another one from Fraser. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, given the stories <clears throat> that were cancelled during the hiatus... Mm. Uh, have been released in some shape or form now. Did we really miss out on something great or did Grade actually do us a favour? Oh, what? Well, Fraser, as a matter of pure coincidence, I just so happened to watch a documentary about season 20, the missing season 23 this week. 
um, and which prompted me then to go and listen to the Lost Stories range from um, Big Finish. However, I got to the Nightmare Fair and that's where it ended. So I didn't get any further than that. Um, of, the, of the three stories that we know were coming, Nightmare Fair, Mission to Magnus and The Ultimate Evil... No, we weren't missing much. I think it probably, the Nightmare Fair would have looked great. They would have poured a bit of money into that and we'd have had some nice Blackpool filming and it would have been nice to see the Sick Doctor and Perry having fun. It was going to be directed by Matthew Robinson who directed Resurrection and um, Attack on Sidemen so it would have been stylish. I don't know Fiona Cumming was going to do The Ultimate Evil. Did she? So, oh, I mean, she couldn't do anything with that script. Have you heard that audio? Oh, no, I, I can't stand the audio versions of this, that well, last season. I'll say this, right, but at the end of they're episode... They're so long. They're like an, they, they didn't edit them at all. So they're just... Re- I know they're supposed to be... Authentic. Authentic, but... Uh, I'll put a razor, breast, a razor blade to my wrist at the end of episode one. <laughs> I, was, I was like, if this gets any worse, I'm doing it, all right? There's authentic and there's a reason why they're lost, yeah. Um, But can I say as a caveat again i know i talk about big finish a lot but big finish pulled um some probably obscure stories out of the mix like point of entry and leviathan and song of the space whale which i thought was great why are you no, looking like that the, they changed the name didn't the they megetra megetra yeah because of the beast below they couldn't use space whale what's the tractators one that's the t- oh, worst one of the time it's terrible no no, no i'm talking terrible. about the good ones all oh, right yeah point of entry the first Sontarans, guardians of prophecy like how they suggest their lost stories because they were like a one-page synopsis is beyond me but those stories are, are being brought to life by great big finish writers and you know, they are they are ideas that were mooted at the time. Well, it's funny that um, that season and around that time, the 80s, there's all these half-finished scripts or it only got so far or they couldn't decide or whatever. You go back to the 70s with Terence Dix, there's hardly any lost stories there's around some. then. There was not, Excuse me, not really that many. What about The Mega but all of by these Bill ones, Stratton? Yeah, there's a few, but it's just funny. Around Eric Saywood's time, I'm just saying, there just seems to be all these lots half finished scripts and half we're not sure we're doing all this doesn't work we're starting again do you know why you know, i think Can that I... shows i think that's telling i i i'm going to be bold enough to suggest that terence diggs because he says it in an interview and commentaries that if a script wasn't working he'd say he'd pay off the writer and say right i'll make it work and then he would do a top to toe rewrite yeah. and i don't think eric sword had that in him well no that's what i'm saying yeah eric say would be like i'm gonna go and write something else or go on holiday or what whatever. he actually said was um I, I think doctor who's a really hard program to to write yeah. for but there are people like fucking pj hammond you, you know sapphire and steel writing for doctor who and saying that those scripts weren't up to scratch yeah, it's very odd choices. Yeah. Villain of the era. Uh, next question is from Tom Newsom. At we saw Tom this weekend as well, didn't we? Uh, he says, "Who would be your pick for casting a Doctor in the eighties? Oh my god, that's so tough. Rick Mail. And do you know why? It's because if if someone had suggested that until I saw him and Jonathan Creek, I would have said bullshit. Like all I all I really remember him from is bottom. And then I saw his performance in that. And he's basically, he's a detective playing up against Jonathan Creek. Boy, oh boy, he was so sexy and smart. And he was basically the doctor. So I'm going to, yeah. And I think he would have been a little bit sort of anarchic and chaotic as well. So, yeah, Rick Mayle. 
And Johnny Morris asks, what does Doctor Who tell us about life in the 1980s? Oh, my. Bloody hell. That's a, yeah, That's Johnny, a deep one. He's over, you know, he's a fabulous big Finnish writer. That's why. Um, I think it certainly tells us in the mid-80s that <laughs> it was a very violent, confusing <laughs> place that actually was looking back at the past quite a lot. Um, and I think that a lot of that was going on in the 80s, actually. Um, I think it tells us that... Oh, I don't even know if I'm the right person to answer that question, do you know? I don't really know much about sort of the politics of the time. I know they're leaning into sort of the video nasties, aren't they, in the mid-80s. Um, it certainly tells us a lot about the BBC politics at the time. They weren't interested in science fiction. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to park that one, I'm afraid. And I might hand that over. Oh, do you know what, Johnny? I'll ask that to... Uh, Gary Russell, who's coming on to do the Enlightenment commentary. I'm sure he'll be able to give me a smile stuff for that one. Uh, next question from Brendan Jones. Ah, uh, Brendan. Have you seen him lately? <laughs> no. He's been going down the gym. <laughs> Honestly, he looks absolutely... He, he's wearing these tight little leotards down the gym. <laughs> he looks amazing. Anyway, sorry, go on. Uh, which 80s doctor had the most consistent era in the decade? <laughs> era. 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 <laughs> Who had the most consistent era? Yeah, and for the fourth Doctor, obviously you've only got season eighteen. Uh, if you're including that season, well, I'd say it's that season because so the fourth Doctor. Yeah, but that's that's not a fair answer. It's one year. Okay, but okay, if you we'll said if you would just say one then. season, who's the most consistent? I'd say maybe season twenty-two. It's okay. violent and okay, five, six, seven, seven. Do you know why? It's Carmel and Carmel. He had a plan, folks. He had the Cardmail master plan. Ace is after Gallifrey, but we got to get her there first. Um, no, I think I think he had a consistent tone and vision for the show. Uh, he wanted to make it a bit more urban, uh, about real characters. He wanted to ditch the continuity, or or as, you know, not have as much continuity and do original stories. And I think he sort of leans into that whole like big bold comic book ideas approach think of paradise towers Delta and the banner men happiness patrol like there's there's they would work as comics you know just visually they would work really well as comics so i'm going to say the andrew cartmill era the least consistent is the eric's award era across five and six but we've discussed that already uh it's sort of linked to this so this is from simon hart uh who <laughs> Simon Hart? Who's that? Is he that tall bloke we saw the other day? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah go on. <laughs> um, ba- um, Davison, <laughs> Baker and McCoy. Davison. Davison, Baker and McCoy. Which is their strongest season each and why? Oh, what do you think? Ah, strongest season. Oh. 21, 22 and... 26. I might say 19. Oh, really? Time flight? I know, but there's there's always one shit one in each season. Are you talking favourite or best? No, I think best. I think that first series, his oh, first series okay. is quite good. Is that um, your favourite as well? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, 22 two, and yeah, 26, yeah. 
See, if we were doing favourite, I would say 21. Because it's got um, Frontiusk and Rosani and um, Resurrection of Daleks, all of which I really mm. like. Uh, 22, which I just really love. And 24 is my favourite McCoy year. Yeah, it's not strong, though. Unapologetically. <laughs> I think it's Campus Christmas. <laughs> Tollboard 3471. Please have your credits ready. <laughs> hey, Doctor, Doctor, I haven't won anything before. Well, who's that? That is Mel and the Seventh Doctor from Delta and the Bannermen. I suppose it's time. Time I should be going. Time that I left. You should do some target readings, you know. You're wasted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I can't imagine. Can imagine me Delta reading. and the Bannermen, read by Joe Ford. Who? <laughs> Even better. Time and the Rani, read by... Joe Ford. <laughs> Tumultuous buffeting. <laughs> Forced the doctor off his exercise bike. This is audible. <laughs> Leave the girl. It's the man I want. Take him to my laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> audible, get in touch. All right, I'm here. Okay, next question from Jack Coyer. Oh, Jack Coyer. Oh, can I just say, Jack, I promise you, I will be in touch about this War Games commentary soon. All right. Uh, if you could take one 1980s TARDIS team and put them into one of the new Who series, which team would you pick and what stories would you give them? I would want Tegan in there. So it's got to be a Tegan team because new Tegan, now Janet Fielding's got a sense of humour, is fabulous. Um, so I'm going to say the fifth Doctor, Tegan and Turlow. I think you could probably do something quite interesting with a younger doctor. So basically, it'd be, it'd be Matt Smith, wouldn't it? It's the young, do- the old man in the young man's body. And then I'd have Tegan with a sense of humour, because Janet Fielding is hilarious. And um, I think you could probably do Turlow justice now to have this sort of morally complex and sometimes slightly evil in a hot ginger sort of way. Um, character. So what story are you going to put them in? Oh. New story. What script would you give them? Bloody hell, these are complex questions, aren't they? Well, of course, the, I, I would absolutely love to have Tegan in <laughs> Unicorn and the Wasp. <laughs> well, if you're thinking you could replace uh, the Doctor, Amy and Rory, and put in the fifth Doctor, Tegan and Turlow in, in a what? story, The Girl Who Waited... With Tegan. Oh, Imagine. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I just thought something even better. Imagine Sixth Doctor and Perry in Flatline. Pe- Perry <laughs> yes. doing all the bits. Like, oh, Doctor, you're so small in I that think, TARDIS. Do you know what I think for the Sixth Doctor and Perry would be uh, before the flood and under the lake? I think that would work with them, too. Yeah. Oh, I, my God. She can really get the good. cards out and yeah. say, come on, Doctor. I just think it would be perfect. You can just <laughs> pluck them out and put that in. Colin Baker would be like, oh, Perry. I'm so sorry for your loss of he, she, and or whatever. Imagine that cliffhanger um, with the Doctor underwater and everything. Oh, it's the Doctor! <laughs> no! No! And the big close-up of Colin Baker under the water like and that. Then imagine, imagine. And then imagine face the raven. Perry gets killed by the crow. <laughs> yes. And then Colin Baker goes all vengeful. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bring down Gallifrey and the whole time vortex to get Perry back. I think that whole series could just... <laughs> Work with them too. Do you know what? I mean, I don't think much of Series 9, but if it was Sixth Doctor yeah. and Perry, I'll be there for it. Imagine. Okay, that's the answer. <laughs> oh, imagine it's Asylum of the Daleks. Yeah. With the Amy Master and Perry, you know, where he makes he makes her go inside the Dalek and stuff. 
That would be funny, wouldn't it? Alternatively, I would put um, Fourth Doctor and Adric in um, World Enough for Time, just so Adric has a massive hole blown through his chest. (laughs) And you'd have Ainley Master there instead of Missy. Yeah, yeah. It really well. This game's really fun, isn't it? Uh, Do you remember when we were watching all those uh, new series episodes in the Randomizer? Yeah. And every single one we were going, which classic Doctor and Companions would work in this? Yeah. We did some really fun ones, didn't we? But to be honest, I do imagine that most of the time when I'm watching a new, new series episode. I'm glad you said that when when you imagine that d- during those moments. Oh, I was really scared you were going to say something else then. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Christopher Eccleston series, just swap out and put First Doctor and Dodo in the whole thing. Take out Rogue. Oh, wait. <laughs> Do the I'm, whole series I'm sending like you that. home, child. <laughs> yeah. Have a fantastic life, my child. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever hear Jack Shanahan Dodo, doing... my dear. You are fantastic. <laughs> Did you ever hear Jack Shanahan doing um, First Doctor and Dodo in Doomsday? No. My child, I'm burning up a star just to say goodbye. I think it'll work perfectly. Oh, Doctor, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, child, run. Run. <laughs> run, I say. <laughs> wow, this game's amazing. Whose question was that? Uh, Jack Coyer. Oh, Jack, you're a genius. Okay, next Thank question you. is from Secret Squirrel. Who's that? I don't Secret Squirrel? Um, Shh, Secret Squirrel. If one 1980s story had to be missing from the archives, which one should it be? Missing? Yeah. Oh, we've done this already, haven't yeah. we? Oh, no, well, I've got to choose another one now, haven't I? Because it's okay. the same question. Um, I'll probably say... Oh, I can't take out time, Lash. I'm sorry. Some people depart with a scream. Um, well, what would you take out? I'll take out Ark of Infinity. You've got to be missing from the archives. Yeah. Um, if we could have telesnaps... Um, <laughs> oh, just get rid of time flight. Do you think it would work as telesnaps? Telesnaps and the audio recording would be perfectly People would fine. be looking at that perfect... Perspective shot, like <laughs> yeah, that set no. going. Does that work? I'm not sure if that works. Just on the same way we sort of squint at Marco Polo's like uh, telesnaps going. Those, those plain of Pamir. Does that does that look like a desert? Uh, okay. Next question is from Rod. Who? Who's Rod? Who underscore Rod? Rod oh, who? Yeah. Uh, did the show come off the rails in the 80s, and therefore was there some legitimacy in retooling? Um, could there have been another way? Oh, look, he's thrown in a Warriors of the Deep quote there. Jason Miller would be proud. Um, did it come off the rails in the 80s? Do you think it would have been cancelled if Michael Grade and Jonathan Powell hadn't taken control of the BBC? Or do you think it would have just run? Because the fella before that, who was running, who was the controller, he was happy for it to just run. And he had a mm. lot of faith in John Nathan Turner. So I think it probably would have just run. I do. I do think uh, in in the writing, it came off the rails a bit, and that's where you got to start. Like it's, it's got to be yeah. a good script. Well, that's what I say. If Eric Saywood hadn't stayed around so long, and you had a new script editor for a new Doctor in Colin Baker, we can't blame Eric Saywood for everything. I know. I'm sorry, you know? I'm harsh, but I I do. Do. he blames John F. And Turner for I know, but I just he? I just see you see him on those documentaries and stuff, and I'm like. They had the hiatus, and he's like, oh, well, I couldn't get the scripts. I couldn't get the scripts, and people couldn't write. You've had 18 months. You've well, just been on holiday and done fuck all. You, you've had 18 months, and you've put together a trial of a time lord. Sorry. I didn't realise we were turning <laughs> this into our fucking Sorry. therapy session. I always, have that. I always go off on one about that, because I just think, well, in 18 months, and you've just, and you hadn't even finished that season before they started shooting, 
They hadn't had the ending done. And you've had 18 months. And you've been paid that whole time as well. I was going to suggest using Eric's award as a safe word, but clearly it makes you (laughs) very angry. Okay. Um, Yeah, I say it probably did come off the rails a bit. But then I think it got back on the rails in Sylvester McCoy in terms of the writing Mm. and the imagination and creativity. So it really had a bit of a renaissance in those last couple of years, but it was too little too late. As far Mm. as Michael Grape was concerned, he says in the Blu-ray, he thought it was cancelled after Colin Baker win. (laughs) He'd forgotten all about Sylvester McCoy. He was like, oh, did we make more series? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, the proof is in the pudding and the pudding's Andrew Cartmel. Oh, no. He's got a big ego, hasn't he? (laughs) He keeps making you buy books. Anyway. uh, Next question is from Simon Catterall. Oh, Simon Catterall, we met in London, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Can I just say, right, anybody, does he do broadcasting? I I think he's on flight for entirety. Simon Catterall. Anyway, we met him in London, and boy, this man could spin a yarn. Oh, man, I was in fits listening to him. And his boyfriend was cute as hell, wasn't he? Oh, sorry, I'm telling everyone about everyone's personal lives now. Um, okay, so he asks, how does the Sixth Doctor escape the heavy machinery swung at him in Mark of the Rani? You see his feet leave the ground, but then how? And why does his TARDIS key open the Rani's TARDIS? Hang on, let's and... do one at a time. Oh, okay. Well, he, peripheral vision. He explains it in the script. Okay, and why does his TARDIS key open the Rani's TARDIS? Oh, uh, that's a design flaw. They realised that all keys opened all TARDISes. That's why there was a, a, a sort of fast sequence where the monk was in the Rani's TARDIS, the master was in the doctor's TARDIS, and it all got a bit confusing. And why is the master's TARDIS interior the same as the doctor's, only black? Oh, shit, isn't it? Why do they do that? It's like he's advertising the fact that he's evil. Why would you do that? It looks better in black, though. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, but why would you... It's like the Cybermen putting up massive pictures of their face everywhere. Why do you advertise it? Well, it's like the Egyptians, isn't it? I think that was the inspiration. Oh, okay. Anyway. All right, well, let's paint this place pink then, because I'm pretty camp. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next question is from uh, Joe Llewellyn. (laughs) Joe Llewellyn? I think that's Llewellyn. 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 Oh, yeah, I think sorry. It's Llewellyn. No, I don't know. I I've just said Irish. it completely the wrong way. Is it Irish I'm so sorry. or is it Welsh? Joe, um, I'm so sorry. Um, no, he's, he's American. I think it's Llewellyn. He's okay. American, that's why okay, I went Joe, Llewellyn. Let's, let's do this. I'm going to answer this in American accent. Let's go. <laughs> if there was a season 27 and 28, would the show continue its renaissance or would the BBC apathy and JNT burnout overcome Cartmel? and his brand of young writers' efforts to revive the show. Well, Joe, this is my thoughts on this. If you go listen to those Big Finish season 27 audios, they are terrible. No, they are really bad. Um, But I don't think that's actually what would have transpired at the time. It would have been really nice to have seen Ace get written out. It would have been lovely to have that safe, uh, safe-breaking scene with rain inside and she wouldn't have been played by bloody Beth Chalmers either would she thank goodness do you think um, Julie Swalia would have been a great rain oh she would rain. be perfect she would be Rain uh, McCready yeah she or would rain have been Robinson. brilliant who's Rain Robinson I don't know oh she's from a Star Trek Voyager it's episode. Rain Creedy isn't it yeah um, no I don't think so I think uh, the series was riding high in 26 wasn't it and so I think it would have probably it, there would have been a point where it kind of would have tipped over I think but as Mark and I have lamented on many podcasts, we were denied our 90s 
Doctor Who, it would have all been like Dimensions in Time and TV movie, and we would have been so happy. No, it would have been like Bugs and Crime, crime Traveller. It would have been kind of a bit glossier. The 90s was the period where they really learned how to start making TV and look Jonathan Creek. good. Yeah. Get Verity Lambert back to produce. You know, in the 90s, she made Jonathan Creek in the 90s. It looks amazing. I think they would have had a couple of really strong years. So, no, I don't think it would have gone down here. Um, next <clears> question <throat> from John Bensala. Uh, that's Bensalia. Salia, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, your favourite and least favourite OTT or Hammy 1980s performance and why? Favourite and least favourite? Yeah, do a favourite and least, yeah. OTT? Or Hammy, well, yeah. I don't know much about that, if I'm honest. <laughs> Who's really OTT in the 80s? Well, Ken Dodd. Jesus, if I have to watch that scene of him dying once more. <laughs> favourite or least favourite? <laughs> okay, the most OTT performance in is I'll be back to collect the rubbish later. The Croagnon, Richard Bryars from Paradise Towers. Um, that's one of my least favourite. My favourite from the 80s. Is it Anthony Ainley? I will help myself to immortality. <laughs> He's pretty great, isn't he? <laughs> Who's your favourite? Um, favourite performance? Oh, over the top performance. Oh my god! But how? Well, was... My least favourite is the um, Ainley as Khalid. Oh, Sharam, oh, Sharam. Oh, no, that is definitely the least favourite. Okay. Um, we, we didn't mention Sylvester McCoy, did we? <laughs> yeah, he's pretty over the top, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, he can be. Is he your favourite? Um, actually, do you know what? I quite like a Sheriff's Jack. Oh, In a, yeah. it's it's not O O T T major, but it's still it's going there, isn't it? But it's still good. You remember that time I put on a leather mask and went, (laughs) I could feast my eyes on your beauty. (laughs) Sorry. Next question. Uh, Skipped over that pretty quick. uh, It comes from Meltham Rob. Oh, hello, Meltham. Season 22 received complaints regarding the level of violence it contained. Hmm. Do you feel that violence had already increased in season 21? Oh, yeah. Well, Warriors, Warriors of the Deep... Has a massacre in it. So does Resurrection of the Daleks and Case of Androzani. Face it, Tegan. He's drowned. Oh, so absurd <laughs> at that moment. It's <laughs> not violent. Shut to say. Well, it's pretty violent. He gets shoved over into the water. You can't drown in two seconds, though. <laughs> well, I, I always figured maybe the cold of the water was so cold that he just instantly died. No? Or is it Mark Strickland being a ham? Yeah, it's very quick. He makes his mind up very quickly. But yeah, so... Sorry, I think you... the violence actually starts in The Five Doctors with the Cyber Massacre. Well, maybe even in Earthshock. Earthshock's the first, which of really like lots of shooting, lots of people dying. Um, and it works. Then Kaiser of Androzani comes around. Resurrection, yeah. And people love them though, don't they? Resurrection was lapped up at the time. Highest ratings of the year. Kaiser of Androzani was massively popular. So you can see why they went... Maybe there's something in this. Let's just murder a bunch of people. Let's not tell a story. Let's just turn the show into Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Did it work? Mm. No, I don't think so. But although I would like to say some of those deaths in season twenty-two, like um, I absolutely love it when Shockeye gets chloroformed, 
And I adore all the deaths in Revelation of the Daleks. What is it? What a pretty little box. What does it do? You know, a bit where Kara dies. You before me. Knife goes straight in her tummy. Yeah, some of those deaths are great. So I, I'm i a bit like Toby Hado. I didn't really object to the violence at the time because as a kid when I first watched those VHSs, man, oh man, I was lapping it up like Justini lapping up Colin Baker's blood on the floor. <laughs> what are you going to say there? <laughs> <laughs> I understand your fear. Um, but uh, <laughs> but in retrospect, is it really where the show should be going? I, my favourite is the Graham Williams era, which is far less violent and more whimsical mm. and smarter for mm. it, as the fabulous Sarah Chu from Two Watch Who mm. is discovering. So to conclude, good job, Eric Saywood. Good job. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Be sarcastic. Uh, Next. Right. Uh, Daniel Knight, uh, oh, best Daniel. 80s companion and favourite 80s companion. Um, you know, he said to me in that last podcast, well, not to me, to all of us, that nobody had ever called him handsome before. He's a very handsome man, honestly. Sorry, what was the question? Uh, best 80s companion and favourite. If oh, they're not, if they're different, all this? the same. Uh, the best is probably Ace in terms of character development uh, and uh, ability to attract hot men like Mike from Remember of the Daleks and Sorin from Fenric. Two more fuckable men in Doctor Who you will not meet. Um, and Your favourite? Uh, I want to say Mel. Your favourite 80s companion. I love Mel. Oh, no. Okay, fine. I'll say it's second Romana because she's in the first season. She's she's in my top three companions. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, This one is from James H. Hello, James H. What the hell was Michael Holt thinking when he wrote the weird quiz book type things about magic, space, science, etc.? It was another. Oh, the, no, there was those J&T cash-ins. Oh, right. You know, Peter Davidson's Book of Weird Planets, you know, and other places. Oh, right. And things like that. Um, I think they were just trying to make a bit of dosh, and they, they succeeded, because at the time, Doctor Who fans just bought anything. What do I mean at the time? They do it now. Okay, I've got another question from Simon Catterall again. Okay, Simon. Hello. Uh, where did they put the bodies of those shot dead inside the TARDIS? Who was shot in the TARDIS? Well, there was loads of people, wasn't there, uh, throughout the 80s? Everyone was in and out of that TARDIS more oh, than ever. Well, you know the Eye of Harmony at the heart of the TARDIS? It's a bit like a furnace. They just shoved the bodies in there. I think there's a few Cybermen hanging about in there as well, you know, from attacking the Cybermen. Uh, okay, uh, from Kev Blower. <laughs> Did, do you know what with a name like that you better be bloody good at giving a B Joe and did JNT have less creative input than any of his predecessors <laughs> unlike I'm so sorry could you say that again <clears throat> did JNT have less creative input than any of his predecessors unlike Barry Philip Graham not sure what his vision was just left it to the various script editors Yes, we know that. He was jet-setting off to conventions and having a great time being lauded to the high heavens. Every single script editor, that's uh, Christopher H. Bidmead, Eric Saward and Andrew Cartmel said that John Nathan Turner did not understand storytelling. He could produce the show, he could put the money on the screen, 
he didn't understand it. And I think he had ideas, whether they were workable ones, who knows? And, you know, he's like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do this. And this will appeal to the fans and this appeals to me. And probably Gary Downey whispered something in his ear about, you know, what about a planet where you're really happy or something like that? You know, like, I think... I think he came sometimes with like a shopping list of ingredients. He wanted the show to go in a certain direction at times. Perry leave, Perry joining, Turlo leaving, the master in it, blah, blah, blah. Did he have any creative input? Too much, I think. And I don't think he really was equipped to give it. Mm. Uh, London Calling uh, asks... Um, I mean, you've already answered this, but... Um, who gave the greatest guest performance in the 80s. Um, and, but he's put, and why is it Simon Roos as Hindle? So what are your thoughts on that performance? Fantastic. Really disturbing. And do you know what really disturbs me about that performance is he's very childlike. It's childlike tantrums. And then when he starts going, Mummy, put the lights on. It's really, really scary. Um, who gives the best guest performance? I don't think it is Simon Rouse, you know. But I do think there are some really serious contenders. Uh, obviously, Jenny Thomason in Revelation of the Daleks is up there. Um, I think there's some fantastic guest performances in Trial of Time Lord. You know, Linda Bellingham, Michael Jaston, mm. um, the McCoy era, um, Jean Marsh, mm. you know. Uh very best though the very best see like in kinder i'd suggest that um Neris hughes is as good as simon rouse in a very understated way oh the entire cast of snake dance there you go that's my answer i think there is some top drawer acting in snake dance mm. um dr nigel fletcher um dr nigel fletcher apparently so Write me a prescription, Doctor. <laughs> what JNT-style stunt casting of guest stars do you wish we'd had? Um, some of his are Sue Pollard, uh, Patricia Routledge, Kenneth Williams, June Brown and Judy Dench. Do you remember Sue Pollard um, in that murder mystery show? <laughs> There's been another murder! <laughs> you sound like Jenny Thomas when you say that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I've just made the dessert and his face is in it. Oh, sorry. Um... Patricia Routledge is one of mine, you know. I'd love to have seen her in Doctor Who. Imagine um, Sue Pollard as the Inquisitor. <laughs> right, everybody, stand up now. <laughs> Doctor, you've been <laughs> accused of genocide. <laughs> howdy, hi, Gallifrey, howdy, hi. Um, who else, who else, who else, who else, who else? Think, 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 think. Jeremy Brett would have been amazing to be in the 80s. Who's that? Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes from the 70s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um... Richard Griffiths, who was mooted as a potential after Sylvester McCoy doctor, would would have been great in it. I'd have loved to have seen French and Saunders in it as stunt casting. They would have been amazingly good. Um, Patricia Routledge would probably be my number one, you know, because she's very, very funny as Hearted Bouquet. You go and watch her in Hetty Wainthrop and she'll break your heart. She's such a seriously good actor. J&T always went on about Patricia Routledge when um, he was talking about stunt casting and bringing in comedy actors. And he would move, well, look at Patricia Routledge. Why the fuck didn't you get her in then? She's amazing. Um, Yeah, I think those would be my top ones. 
Let's do one more, shall oh, we? Okay. On this round. Make it uh, good. This is from James Sylvester. Um, how might the Cartmel era have developed if Colin Baker had continued as the Doctor? I, that, I, I alluded Baker. that in a recent commentary. I said, how interesting would that have been if Colin Baker had been in season 20? He would, could have been in season 24. It's still very garish and colourful and a bit silly. Um, I think, imagine Colin Baker in Paradise Towers. He could absolutely do that. He's as colourful as the rest of the story. I think it would have been really interesting. And as um, McCoy's character got darker, I'd love to have seen Colin Baker go down that route and give some like serious, understated acting. Imagine him in Battlefield. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> Do I have to do it? <laughs> now, Ace, I want you and Sho Young to stay here while I get to the bottom of this, Morgane. <laughs> Magic. Magic. <laughs> I, I think he would have been brilliant. I think Colin Baker's a fantastic actor. Imagine Colin Baker up against a black Dalek in Remembrance of the Daleks. And he, would have, he, and he would have brought it down for that as well. Yeah. Like, think of the moments in Colin Baker's times. Like, you remember when he goes... Planets come and go, stars perish. You kill Perry. Like, he can bring it down. So he could play it, I think. Well, he'd be no more over the top than McCoy. No, no. Unlimited rice pudding. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, that's our... Oh, sorry, I'm bringing it to an end. Whoa, I've only got a couple of Thank minutes. You. Yeah, I, that was only like one bit of the thread on here. There's tons more. Well, don't you worry, folks. We'll be back for part two of the 80s Q&A. When we're less tired, <laughs> we've got more energy. But I hope you enjoyed round one.